1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in French Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Roxanne Panchassi. My guest in this episode is Annabelle Kim, the author of Cacophonie, the excremental canon of French literature, and the book was published by University of Minnesota Press in 2022. Annabelle is one of a few authors in the almost decade since I launched this podcast who I've had the privilege to speak with more than once, and this is our second conversation. Our last one was right here on New Books in French Studies back in 2019, and we spoke about Unbecoming Language, anti-identitarian French feminist fictions, and that book was published by the Ohio State University Press in 2018. Welcome back, Annabelle. It is such a pleasure to be back, Roxanne. I am very excited to speak with you in general, but especially about this amazing book. Just before we started recording, I was saying that my experience of reading this book was All the feels, (laughs) so many feels, Uh, emotional, physical. We talked, Annabelle, the first time we had a conversation about why France and French literature for you. Um, But I wouldn't mind kind of revisiting that. Everybody should go listen to that interview. But um, just for people who haven't heard it, to give that kind of baseline of like, how did you become a scholar of French literature?
2: Yeah, of course. You know, I'm happy to to re-narrate it, especially because I think it's at the core of the work that i do the kind of anti-identitarian bent of all my work you know i first came into french just kind of by accident i was an annoying younger sister and (laughs) my older sister had taken french um so when i got into junior high which was when they started offering you know second language courses um i chose french um that was just a no-brainer for me and by that point you know, I was a tween, and I was starting to feel angsty because, I, even though I grew up in the California and Bay Area, which has a pretty substantial Asian community, mm. uh, I wanted so badly to assimilate and be a white person. I was so ashamed of my of my Koreanness, my Asianness, to the point that I basically lost my Korean as a language, even though it was the first one that I'd learned. You know, Korean was my mother tongue that I betrayed in English, which was language that took over once I started school, uh, the language that I like started thinking in existing in, um, it was my bad stepmother tongue. Mm. And so you know by the time I got to junior high, I was old enough and sentient enough to kind of be aware of this sort of existential conflict between these two languages and, and the sort of linguistic impasse as far as like navigating my identity went. So once I started learning French and became kind of more more and more proficient, Enough to be able to have access to, you know, like real conversations, cultural objects, et cetera. I realized that when I was functioning in French that I felt free, right? Because here was a language that had no emotional, psychological baggage. It had nothing to do with me. Like this language was just pure communication, expression. And that was so liberating. Is that, and I felt so grateful to French for that experience that I just kept with it everything.
1: That's a great story and one that I, as a South Asian Canadian, can relate to in who studies France, um, can relate to in so many ways. And I we've talked about this kind of stuff before. Uh, and it's especially fascinating to me, you know, when I read the first book, but in, in this project as well. And I want to come back around to that. So I'm going to just, you know, ask, Like, how did this shit happen? How did this book come out of, in relationship to, in opposition to, I don't know, the last project and then just in general, how did it emerge? Right. I mean, it was
2: not planned by any means. It was just kind of serendipity um, because I had thought that after, you know, Unbecoming Language, I'd I'd always thought that my second book project would would have something to do with like animal studies. (laughs) But really... Cacophonie has its origins in the classroom. When I was in graduate school, I had the opportunity to to, TS be a teaching fellow for a course on the um, modern French novel that was taught um, by Alice Kaplan and Maury Samuels. And one of the books that we read was Céline's Journey to the End of the Night. And I, You know, it's a, big, it's, it's a big novel. It's a bonkers novel. There's so much going on. But one of the scenes that stands out the most to me is this moment where the protagonist, uh, Banamu, arrives in uh, New York City and ends up in the, one of the underground kind of public toilets. And it's just like the scene filled with a burly, red-faced, defecating men that C- Celine describes as a kind of joyous caca-communism and i was obsessed with it like i was obsessed with this scene and i wanted to discuss it in section and when i brought it up my students just like looked at me with such blank stares and they looked at me at like i was some sort of like raving poo maniac <laughs> and they, they 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 had we all read the same book and nobody well, like truly nobody remembered this passage and, you know, of course, you know, in any given class, you know, there will be students who do the reading and students who don't. But there are always some students who do the reading. And the fact that nobody remembered this, you know, that that was striking to me. But then I just kind of filed it away and forgot about it. But then when I started teaching as a professor, I um, taught the book again and a similar reaction. And I thought, wow, these are very different sets of students. Um, like what is going on? And and one of my other courses that I was teaching came up at the same moment just sort of accidentally, like like all the courses I teach feature primarily canonical texts. Like I like for students to have a sense of the sort of shape of of, of the French canon, um, just because, you know, th- th- those are the shared points of reference in, in, in many ways. And so when these other kind of canonical texts, and that was when I was teaching like the Romain Garry, for instance, um, the Genet, etc. cetera, um, those students also for those texts, like never seem to pick up on on the fecal content and i was like huh like there is a weird a very weird sort of fecal blindness that seems to cut across like various uh groups of, of of students um who come from very different backgrounds but like they seem to be united by their fecal blindness and i was also struck by how like this kind of syllabus i'd accidentally put together had so many um texts that had an experimental dimension to them so i thought well, I can see this shit, even if my students can't, even if the scholarship doesn't seem to be able to see it. So let me dig into this. Like why is there so much shit in the the canonical works that are deemed to matter? Um, and that was that was
1: how Kaka for started. I, I love this idea of and share it too. Uh, we're, we're not the same person. <laughs> I do, but we do have certain things in common. <laughs> I just love this idea of work coming out of our teaching because I do think, and I think this is true for a lot of scholars, like especially the relationship between first books and subsequent books or projects that you know one comes out of the intellectual you know, interests that we might have in grad school or from our mentors or whatever. But then yeah, teaching really does shape or can shape the projects that we come up with as we continue in our careers. And so this is a, that, that's really interesting to me. What's also interesting to me, and I, I've heard you mention this, you know, in talks and at other moments that apart from your intellectual and literary interests, you feel like you that your interest or that your awareness and your lack of fecal blindness, that's drawn you to these texts and authors and moments in French literature that has like a kind of cultural, personal, there's a personal story behind that. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, like, why is Annabelle Kim the right, if not best, person to pursue <laughs> this, this project? Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I I think that the Kim in my name has a
2: lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that I um, am Korean-American, you know, Korean culture, for those who might not be aware of, of this, it's, it's a very... A uh, fecally open culture. I would say, you know, it it the fecal taboo is it doesn't really exist. Like growing up, it was normal to talk about our defecation. Like it was not a source side of shame. It was something that we talked about because it was important for our health. You know, um, and you know, if, you, if she, there's like a toilet museum in in Korea that that is devoted to. <laughs> Like the history of of defecation. Oh, you you can buy like poop themed like toothpaste. You know, it just it's just like. <laughs> and if you watch Korean shows, it is rare to find a Korean show that does not somehow manage to like work defecation into the dialogue somehow. And I don't know if um others have noticed this, but I think one thing that d- differentiates Korean television from um like American television, or like just Western television in general, is that like Korean shows always feature a lot of people eating. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a kind of a, uh, attention to these everyday sort of corporeal habits that you don't really get in like American TV. And I think that also is linked to like the recognition that we eat. And obviously, if we eat, we shit. And that is also acknowledged. But to give you, uh, I guess, a sense of like the fecal dimension of of Korean culture, there's a there's a game um, in 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 Korean culture called Dongjip, which I know there's an equivalent in, in Japanese, and the, the the name is eluding me right now, but basically it sort of literally translates to like like shit needle or like poop needle, and basically you t- you put your two index fingers together. Um, and your thumbs and your rest, the rest of your fingers are like crossed or like you know put down. So you basically have like a kind of you make a gun or a little, like pointer like with your with your with your hands, and then you run around trying to poke other people in the butt uh, in the butthole, uh, more specifically. Okay, and I mean it's a lot of fun. And I remember it's been a long time since I've been to Korea, but the last time I was in Korea, I was I think eighteen years old, and I played a game of of with like a group of people ranging from like young children to like people in their 20s and like don't you also like you get featured in some like korean like shows etc so it's it, where adults are are, are are portrayed doing this too um and i just remember going to college and i tried to make friends and no. I, I didn't know what it didn't go over well no it really didn't uh But anyway, you know, it's just like, I think there's a different sort of orientation toward fecality um, in in Korean culture that just doesn't exist in American culture. I do think the fact that I I grew up with that um, and that I was, you know, shaped by it made it so that I never internalized um, the fecal taboo, despite my desires for assimilation. And this is a kind of crazy um, sort of concession on my part, but I so thoroughly associated was Koreanness that until I was in <laughs> until until I was in junior high, I actually thought that white people didn't shit. Whoa. <laughs> um, because I had never heard another white person kind of talking about or like fessing up to defecating. Like the only people I knew in my life who talked about like defecation was my family and like the other members of like the Korean community that um, that I grew up in. And it seems so insane, you know, right? Because like biologically, like we're the same species. And yet, yet that kind of sort of discursive sort of rhetorical sort of self-censure or, or erasure made me believe that like physicality was something distinctly non-white. Yeah.
1: That's really fascinating. And I I mean, I'm fascinated by it for lots of reasons, including, you know, thinking about you as a reader and as a as a writer and scholar, like the triangle of your Korean background, your like American professional pedagogic whatever school life and and work as an academic, and then of course, like the connection to France. So, how this book, this project, kind of sits at like inside the. Tr- all of those different cultural things. I'm, I'm also interested with respect to this question of fecal blindness in the, I was about to say historiographic. I mean, it's probably that too, but like in terms of literary studies, like you you make the point about your students and about your own kind of interest in these scenes and moments in the literature that you're exploring in this book. But also that that exists in literary studies. And maybe you mean in literary studies writ large or literary studies focused on French literature, whatever you mean, can you say a little bit more about the fecal blindness that is intellectual with respect to, to French literature?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the um, historical element is a really important one. It, it's not difficult to find uh, scholarship uh, on excrementality in French literature, as well as, I think, English English literature, too, um, when it pertains to the early modern um, and even, so, you know, it's like you have you know, someone like Rabelais, for instance, and of course, it's like really hard not to, not to uh, see in, uh, and be forced to sort of acknowledge the, the body um, corporeality of, of a Rabelais, for instance. And so that does exist. You know, there's a um, wonderful volume called Fecal Matters in Early Modern Literature and art, um, and it's edited by Jeff Purcells and Russell Ganim, and it came out in the aughts. But even then, you know, this this song that was dedicated to looking at fecal matter in in the early modern period, it it framed, like in the introduction, it framed the work around still as responding to the fecal taboo. So there's still the sense, even in the sort of period where um, there was more visibility for work being done on fecality, that, that you still had to push past a certain fecal taboo, and in comparison, there was almost nothing um, on m- modern literature that dealt with fecality. I mean, a few things here and there, but nothing that would would be considered, I think, particularly mainstream, right? And so I was struck by that kind of the difference in terms of periodization. You know, it's it's like people would be able to acknowledge the fecality of the early modern in a way that they weren't really able to acknowledge or be conscious of the that still continued into like the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way we associate the 20th century, like um, as in the 19th century too, for that matter, as just being more sanitary um, mm. than, than the early modern. You know, it's easy to think, oh, well, that was like the, the medieval, the early modern. That was when people were, you know, emptying their, their chamber pots at the window. Um, That was, you know, before plumbing. Um, So I think that th- there's this kind of fantasy in the narrative of like, well, you know, we had progress. <laughs> we developed things and and then physicality just kind of disappeared from view in a way that was impossible not to acknowledge in the day-to-day Um kind of material conditions of, of living in the early modern.
1: So I think that has a lot to do with it, too. One of the main projects of the book, as I see it and as you articulated in the introduction and elsewhere, is this idea that what you're interested in foregrounding and reading and thinking through yeah. is the materiality and the material experience of the fecal in and through this these literary works and authors that, that the book is focused on. And I guess, I yeah, I want to just kind of spend a little bit of time with you asking, like, what does that mean and what is it against um, in the sense that, you know, to say that excrement is matter and that you're going to pursue the materiality of excrement rather than other ways of reading it, thinking about it, um, turning it into something else, abstraction, among other things. So can you say a little bit more about the emphasis on the material in this project and, and what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I, and I think that you were touching
2: upon like the the, the crux of, of, of the book is essentially for me, the materiality of fecal matter that I insist on because I think that the, the authors that I uh, treat in the book also insist on, on it in their writing. That has everything to do with universalism um, as it's been conceived in the French context as a bad, bad like appropriative abstract universalism. Mm. What what interests me in terms of the kind of um, granted sort of selective vision or cross section of the French canon that I provide is the way um, there is such I think a desire to level difference. I think there is that that, that I think that all of the works. Um, are animated by a kind of communism sort of equality before and through fecality. And that stands at odds with, with France's abstract universalism, universalism. So I think is that um, this kind of literary fecal matter ends up being a corrective to abstract um, universalism by providing a concrete fecal universalism instead. Like in my head, the, all the excrementality in the French canon is trying to make good on the values, um, the revolutionary values that France claims to be built on. Um, but as we obviously know, because history, it fails to ever promise on um, or make good on. You know, shit is so interesting because we are so attuned to its um, materiality in our everyday life. If we st- step in dog shit, for instance, it's like there's an immediate reaction of like, ick, or if we get you know, oh, stomp on so. a bird, or like you know, it's 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 like we know intimately every one of us what the materiality of fecal matter is, and yet it's also in the way we we use um, kind of uh, uh, an experimental like uh, uh, um, lexicon, if you will, like shit gets and in in, in the way we use shit as 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 a word as a kind of lexical field, it is so abstracted, right? It's like shit, shit can mean something that is so far removed from its original sort of referent. Mm -hmm. And so I think the literary shit is trying to remind the readers of the concrete nature of shit that is often, I think, sort of uh, occluded in the ways we use or speak of shit in our language.
1: So along these lines, I mean, it's true that just based on my training and my interests like the first place I go to in my mind in terms of reading shit when I do this which is not which is going to be a lot more often now after reading the book it's psychoanalysis and so around this question of materiality I was really intrigued by your interest in a field like waste studies and not a refusal but a sort of the, the underlining that you do you know, when you set out the project in the introduction, that this isn't about reading shit psychoanalytically, that that's not what you're interested in and for very good reasons. So can you tell us a little bit about like, why is it, well, not just, but let's say waste studies rather than psychoanalysis? Maybe you should tell us what waste studies, I mean, we, it sort of sounds like it's self-evident, but maybe, yeah, I mean, waste studies is such a, it's such a big, yeah. <laughs> yo, it's such a heterogeneous
2: um, kind of field, but I mean, it is what it sounds like. It is it is um scholarship that deals with human waste um in uh, writ large. So both sort of kind of corporeal like excreta, uh, but also kind of trash, our excess, kind of the 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 remainders of, <laughs> of our like capitalist sort of mania to always consume and always produce more than we can consume. You know, it's 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 a really heterogeneous and vast um and multidisciplinary field. And I but I think that one thing that um that waste studies has uh, in common, or that that you could find in any sort of iteration of of, of waste studies is this sort of attentiveness to the material dimension and existence mm-hmm. of waste, um, whatever kind of waste you're working on. Mm-hmm. And I think what I um the reason I sidestep psychoanalysis um in the book Precisely because psychoanalysis isn't really interested in 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 as, as as material, right? It's like it's interested in in reading shit and using shit to um, promulgate a certain type of narrative, and it's a narrative that is, you know, because it's psychoanalysis, it is very much invested um, in in the self, right? In a kind of contained subjectivity that can be identified as a subject, if you will. And, you know, what I was alluding to earlier with what I see as, like, literary shit's desire to level and its capacity to level, I think that is also a kind of disindividuating uh, um, sort of move. um, uh, Because in some sense, I think that what makes shit amazing is, like, just the way, like, our digestive system, right, can take all kinds of disparate and very distinct types of food and then kind of turns it all into the same sort of uniform like matter, as it travels through and is processed by by our um, by our digestive digestive system, I see it doing something similar to on the lines of like mm-hmm. persons and subjectivities. It's like it it's able to kind of dissolve the I think the differences and the distinctions that would make it possible to like differentiate an individual from another. Um, so I think it's very much not about like identity and not about being a subject. Um, and so for that i thought you know psychoanalysis it's not adequate that and also psychoanalysis in terms of this the sort of tr- like freudian or Kristevan um accounts of of shit it is they're dematerializing right it's like with with, with freud you have like gold the, the the equation between gold and feces so it's kind of more about feces as a sort of stand-in or a sign or for for wealth right you have like kristeva and abjection, and it's all about like the way these abject materials, like shit or like corpses or like wounds, even the the horror and the disgust that they elicit, like signals like a breakdown, right, um, in meaning um following a breakdown and like the distinction between the self and the other. Again, it's about the sort of like the emphasis is on the self; it's on that kind of intersubjective encounter. But like, because it's so focused on like the psychical, like that 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 I think is also sort Mm -hmm. of dematerializing. I don't think either Freud or Kristeva are interested in like what shit looks like, what it smells like, what it feels like. Whereas I think that the authors in my corpus they are interested Mm -hmm. in those in those qualities.
1: So I'm gonna ask a like a pretty dumb question (laughs) about reading. Uh, in in literary studies, <laughs> I guess I want to ask about the relationship in the project between reading this work and literature about shit that deals with shit that describes shit, that has scenes and moments of shit and literature as shit, writing as shit, like how um shit is part of the process or an analogous process, like the relationship between this book as. A tracking of shit in literature, and this project as also using shit to think about literature and literary studies. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think
2: so. Yeah, because I think that you know you you've just essentially um, pointed out to like the two sort of kind of different levels uh, in which shit operates in in, in cacophony. Which is like, yes, obviously, I am tracking the shit in, in, in these various works um, by Céline, Beckett, Romain Garry, Duras, um, Sacre, Junet, And then kind of in, in the, from the 21st century, a, a more kind of an open sort of question in terms of canonicity, um, Daniel Pinac and Algarita. I am, of, of course, tracking the shit in, in their works. But I think that one of the consequences of tracking the shit in their works is it also sort of allows me to frame literature itself as being shit. And this is a kind of comparison that gets made by, um, I think, the authors as well. So in um, Jean Genet's um, Notre Dame des Schleurs, uh, there is a passage where the narrator describes like shooting out a poem There, like in Gaeta's uh, "Dans le Beton, I think there's a pretty clear sort of analogy being or equivalence being established um, between like the materiality of concrete and the materiality of, of shit um, and the materiality of language as the, the medium with which writers work. So really I think it's, it, it's that, the one follows from the other. Like, if you, if one attends to the shit that is in this literature, that allows one to see that literature is shit.
1: Who is it that said their work should be used to wipe shit? Oh, yeah, I think um, that was, I think that was Beckett. And it was just like, you had a toilet paper.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: associated with but not um totally determining of the project in this book around questions of canon like to think of literature as shit is is connected to what you're trying to get at in terms of and you just mentioned it by mentioning those two 21st century authors like these authors that you've chosen well they're all heavy hitters (laughs) but the 20th centuries that authors that you've chosen are are the shit like they're they're the 20 you know yeah, like and, basically, and um, <laughs> so yeah. How does that issue of thinking about literature as shit, the way these authors frame it that way, or or refer to it that way, and the question of canon? How are those two things related? I
2: think when I you know was writing the book, I had a kind of I think idealistic, um. Vision and fervor that really wanted to frame the, the, the shit in these canonical works that's able to end the canon, right? Um, because, you know, it's like <laughs> um, we know the canon wars happened and, you know, are, 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 are never really stopped happening. Um, and the canon is, um, you know, one of the kind of, uh, I think, most visible markers of um, kind of of, of, inequity as it is manifested in, in culture. Um, and you know, the canon, obviously like the canons of national literature serve like the projects of nation states in terms of how like closely it's tethered to, to, to national identity, especially in the case of, um, a country like France, which we know is sort of obsessed with literature and in its own sort of um, cultural patrimony in ways that I think that, you know, for instance, the United States just isn't. And so I really wanted to be able to kind of come out through the other end being like, yes, this is going to just like bust open the canon. The canon is no more. But one of the reader's reports I got kind of pointed to real tension between what I was saying in my optimistic, like down with the canon, et cetera, um, uh, uh, sort of rhetoric, um, and what my book was actually doing, right. because in, in many ways it's like I I was working on, like truly, like as you said, like writers who are the shit, like the most canonical figures from the last century, and I think it's obvious to whomever will you know read my readings of these works that like i love this literature i love these texts i love thinking with these texts so clearly my own sort of work sort of delving into um and sounding out the excrementality of of literature did not end up busting open the canon if anything it kind of reinforced it um and so that made me kind of rethink my relation to the canon in in certain ways and i think it's more honest you know, the literature doesn't destroy the canon. It's not really capable of doing that. But I think what it does instead is it abides with the canon in a way that I think still has a really sort of radical potential, which is to call attention to like, precisely to the kind of the the tension between the canon as it likes to imagine itself to be, right? So the canon as like great works the crown jewels of like western civilization mm-hmm. french civilization etc as something that lasts that is that will perdure in a way that like inferior you know cultural products just cannot etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's you know the canon essentially promises mm-hmm. eternity and i think that's part of why the canon is so attractive but shit is like the negation of mm-hmm. eternity It is what reminds us of our mortality as we, like, shit out putrefaction, hopefully on a daily basis, um, from our guts.
1: We talked earlier, Annabelle, about resisting the idea that, like, shit is an abstraction or that it stands for something else. I do want to ask you, not in relationship to sexuality per se, although that's part of the shitty grab bag I'm going to offer you, think about shit and difference and the way that shit stands for different types of difference. So this is the the solid question of, like, shit as a figure for racial difference, shit as a figure for homosexuality, queerness, like, gender difference, like, shit as a figure for class difference. So when we talk about the materiality of shit, like, yes, everyone's shit. But what do you do in this project with those questions of shit and difference and I mean like shithole country comes to mind. But like other things, right? Yeah, right. Where, where does that go yeah. now in the project? Given the authors that you're looking at, you know, whiteness and shit, straightness and shit, um, class privilege and shit. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. I i think and I think that has a, a, everything to do with the with why
2: um this is a very twentieth 20th- century project uh i mean yes i am a t- specialist of the 20th century but part of why it is restrained to um the 20th century is because the excrementality of 19th century literature where where it does come up um it does not attend to the materiality of shit the way 20th century literature does so you know to to, to give an example i remember um when i was working on this book and this, people were like oh like just like are you going to talk about like Victor Hugo and and like Les Misérables and the and the, like the sewer scene etc. But you know in 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 Les Mis, like Hugo's description of the of the sewers like he's not interested in actual shit coming out of actual human bodies, right? It's mobilized for the larger project of Demis which is interested in like mm-hmm. the social body, right? In in terms of um kind of pointing to like the the wastefulness of like a really um, sort of merciless like bourgeoisie that just acquires and acquires and acquires at the detriment of les misérables. So, you know, the 19th century is basically like that. It's like, it's interested in the social body and it uses kind of excrement as a shorthand for a certain kind of body that is inassimilable to or denigrated by the kind of the default white bourgeois male subject. Whereas the 20th century, that, that changes. Like there's not, you don't, I mean, of course, like the mm-hmm. the metaphorical applications of shit still continue. You know, you have only to look at like not right. in rhetoric to, to see that at play, certainly. But I think when it comes to the literature and the canonical literature and, 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 and the way these authors are are using it, the metaphorical element I think is, is displaced. By a real interest in uh, shit as something that, that is produced by body.
1: So we've talked about the specificity of shit as material. We've talked about the specificity of the 20th century and, you know, the corpus that you've defined for this project. And I realized, like, I think I've kind of been avoiding the question that we always need to ask and that I'm sure you've been asked a zillion times over the course of this project and since the book came out, like, what is so French about shit? And why is France so shitty, or is France distinctly shitty, or French literature distinctly shitty? So, like, so I think that's a really good question, and I am limited
2: in the ways that I am most familiar with French literature in a way that I am not with like anglophone literature, um, literature from 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 other national traditions. I just, I just, I'm not well read enough to be able to make those kinds of um, direct comparisons, but um, I do think you know, just thinking of language, mm-hmm. right? Um, and people speak. It is striking the way I think French just has a more sort of fecal register to its everyday speech where, you know, it's like, oh, ça fait chier, it's like, that's a normal thing to say. Maybe not like a particularly polished <laughs> thing, to say, you know, but normal. Or like, je Merde, you know, it's that's also a normal thing to say. And like, y- you wouldn't say to anybody in English, um, Like, that makes me shit to be like, uh, you know, like, I think the closest we get to, to that is like maybe with like the urinary, with like, oh, I'm pissed off. I th- I do think that there is a kind of uh, linguistic sort of specificity to French that doesn't exist, um, linguistic excremental specificity to French that just doesn't exist in English. And I ended up, you know, in, in the introduction doing a kind of fe- fecal mapping, uh, like, like, like language mapping, which was very, um, interesting for me actually because what you see um in um in kind of tracking the evolution of of the language for shit in french versus in english is that like french is precocious Mm -hmm. when it comes to shit Mm -hmm. like merde um exists way before shit ever did in english and like what's interesting to me also is that um the polite words for Merde in French also come way later. Like "chier" comes like at the at the beginning of the 13th century, whereas like "déficiter" would, would um come six centuries later, like in the 19th century. It's 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 very interesting, and so I do think that um there is even in the history of the development of the French language itself a kind of sort of shitty origin that ends up kind of getting cleaned up as like modernity happens.
1: This is kind of a, takes us to this thing that I wanted to ask you about in terms of writing the book, because there's also a lot of pleasure and shit in this book, in reading it, and I imagine in writing it, and you really you don't shy away from the language of shit throughout the project and when, you know, I've heard you, I'm talking about it with you now, and I've heard you talk about this project, you really you lean into the humor around it, and I mean, it, it, I'm not gonna lie. Like there was, there were moments when this book, I was just like, okay, I just need to put this down, stop thinking about shit for a minute. <laughs> because of course, then your mind kind of goes to other shitty things and personal stuff. I mean, I just, it was really quite a ride. So, sort of, thank you for this experience. <laughs> and, and, and it made me kind of, can we put that as a
2: as a, a blurb? Like Roxanne Pontas, yes, yeah, uh, sort of, thank you
1: it just i i also and this is probably a little bit because i i know you too like i just like what was this like there's a spectacle around a project like this i mean inevitably like the cover's amazing i recently took a photo of the cover of your book on a plane next to the toilet so like what do you do with that how fun has that been how irritating has that been like
2: that's a for the question. I mean, I love questions about like process. I think there's there are some of the most interesting conversations like that we as scholars can have because um, like I mean that's like the the core of the work that we do. I think writing should always be fun, <laughs> um, and you know it's like there's all sorts that we all know the anguish of writing certainly, um, but it's like I think we also always know. Not always, but I think hopefully we all know also the, the pleasures of like being in the in the so-called flow of writing. Um, um so you know, I've always enjoyed writing. I think I think part of it is maybe also my fecal sensibility because it's like when you're playing with word, with, with with language, when you're when you're manipulating it, like it, it, it is like you're playing <laughs> it is almost like kinda of being like a toddler who's playing with shit. So I've always tended to think of writing as a kind of enjoyable, again, like recognizing that it can also elicit lots of feelings of abjection afterward or during. Um, But I think writing on shit was certainly more enjoyable than um, perhaps writing not on shit. And I think in that regard, it's like I was really taking um, a cue from my writers. Because I think, you know, it's it's, it's in the books that I was that I was analyzing, like they are filled with Mm humor as well. Right. It's like there is also on the, on the author's part a playfulness. And I think it's hard not to end up getting kind of contaminated by that Mm -hmm. in some sense. And I think that's also part of why like I am as sort of unhygienic in my language in the book Mm -hmm. as, um, as I am and insist on using the word shit. I mean, part of it is also because of the lexical mapping that I do and the fact that like, like shit is the originary sort of word in French and that all the other kind of polite things like, that become way later. But I think this in, just in general, I was trying to take my cue from the writers. My writers, they weren't interested in fecal matter. Like that's not what they were writing like about or with, you know, what they were writing about and with it was shit. It was merde. Um, so I felt, I guess, authorized to make my own language um, accordingly shitty. Like one of the consequences of the more sanitized language is that it allows us to take a um, um, distance from
1: or put some some sort of buffer
2: between us and the materiality of
1: shit. So I I guess I want to ask you one question, at least, about the organization and structure of the book, the way you've kind of arranged everything. Mm -hmm. Because when I look at the, you know, table of contents and the three parts of the book, part one, necessary shit, part two, shitty ideas... And part three, political shit. Like I see a thematic movement towards, you know, some of the arguments that you're making throughout, but the kind of culmination in, like, what are the liberatory possibilities of thinking through shit, thinking about shit, um, and what are the, you know, questions around canon that we've already addressed. But it's also a chronological, roughly, right? Am I right that it's a chronological thing? I mean, this is my this is my cheap historian's question that I ask. Literally sometimes, like, is this a history of French literary shit? Like, is there a movement? There's certainly a movement within the parts and within the chapters and between the authors. But where's the book moving from start to finish through the 20th century and into the 21st century, if it is? And it doesn't have to be.
2: Yeah. You know, in terms of why I organized it the way I did, I do think that I was informed by a kind of chronological arc so you know, I wanted to start with with, with Celine because Celine is the author who basically blows up French literature, right? Yeah, <laughs> like drags our, our disgusting human bodies into literature in a way that was just completely unprecedented, and also you know, like basically vandalizes the French language and like desacralizes it in a very serious way. Starting with you know Voyage au bout de la nuit, where where, where Celine um, like starts with the very casual fa and the passé composé, like, which was just like absolutely like shocking. And so working on Céline enabled me to kind of try to account for the sort of fecal foundation, if you will, that Céline sets for all the work that's going to come after. Um, and Beckett, you know, is like a, a later writer than, than Céline, but I try to show the way like Beckett is kind of thinking with Céline in certain ways. Um, but I think both the those writers taken together like show the way like like shit is become something that is a sort of some, like necessary structural element of, of, of literature. So hence the necessary shit. Like why does literature need shit? And I think that starting ceiling literature does become something that needs shit. So I maybe mean, it wasn't so much chronological, but that I was interested in just kind of taking account of the different things that shit can do. So it was' important for me to sort of make the argument for why modern literature needs mm-hmm. shit um, uh, to make the case for shit, if you will. So my my, my first two chapters are very, I think, attentive to um, the way these authors like build their um, their texts. And then the subsequent two chapters in the shitty ideas section of the book. Um, I, I do fecal pairings, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I read Sartre and Genet together as a kind of fecal romance gone bad. I read Duras and Gary together, which is like not, I think, a very like not 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 the sort of literary pairing that you would expect because that D- and Gary are very different authors. But I was interested, ok, like I, I dispatched the question of like why sh- why why we meet shit. And so I wanted to move on to to kind of sh- being able to show more what we can do with shit. And so I wanted to point to the conceptual like force uh, and potential of shit. And so with the Duras and the Garry, um, that ended up being yep. using shit to, to kind of formulate a fecal care ethics. In the case of Genet, it was using shit to conceptualize freedom, which is, you know, the core concept, if you will, that I think both Genet devoted their, their, their of to in, in, in a way. And then with the 21st century, the, with the contemporary stuff, I think I was just struck by the way there was a more, I think, explicitly self-aware political valence to the way the authors were using shit. Um, because I, you know, I wouldn't say, like, obviously I think that there's a kind of political dimension to, uh, to all of the the, the my readings of, <laughs> of the works. But I wouldn't say that and, I mean, Sartre is political, too, and Jude is political. Yes, the, the political kind of is mixed up with everything. But I would say that there, again, it's it's a matter of maybe kind of um, not degree, but like intensity. I don't know. But there just seemed to be something more on the surface, um, kind of baldly political about the projects of um, Pénac and Garita mm-hmm. that I wanted to attend to. That attempted that that kind of combines both like what shit can do, as well as a sort of reflection on what literature is because I think that both Kinnock and and Garita are interested very much in the question of like what literature is and does, um, and are interested in explicitly kind of commenting on that through their work. So I mean I guess the, the historical question would be. Why is it that you know this sort of um, convergence uh, happens in the twenty first century that doesn't necessarily happen um, earlier or maybe doesn't happen quite as strongly? I mean, maybe it's just the the randomness of the con- the consequence of making a choice because we all have sure. to choose our our our, our corpora, um, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's there are multiple ones there. That's what I think is kind of interesting is that you are moving chronologically, but there's also the pairings and there's also the part. Uh, and, and as somebody who's just continuously fascinated by how people, you know, write books and finish them. And uh, I mean, like, how does anybody write a
2: book and finish a book? It It's always a mystery. And I don't know about you, but anytime I finish
1: something and start something new... I always feel like I have forgotten how to write. Oh yeah, of course. Well, and and it's one of the reasons why I love doing the, having these conversations. It's like it's, to me it's a miracle every time. Whatever the book is that it that that it exists in the world. Yeah. And again, you know, after reading your book, I just feel like everything is shit like I everything I'm saying about books sounds like you could be saying them about about a turd. Um which I know I can say that to you and not be denigrating your project by saying (laughs) that I behold it like one might a turd. I, I, I absolutely like
2: I have attempted create. (laughs) Yeah. This book is trying to be in (laughs) a, there we go. (laughs) Fully formed, like, like self standing, you know, able to, able to sustain,
1: um, um, some kind of shape. In another podcast that I will start someday, you and I will have, we'll take that, you know, that medical chart of, how, oh, yeah, and how it shows like all the different kinds and, and is a function sometimes of dehydration or other gut problems. Mm-hmm. Like there is a a way in which, you know, that we have review systems <laughs> we could we could do that like it, it'd be pretty easy to do like when when i think of like the pellets versus the long smooth like that those are those are book forms and yeah. structures and effectiveness no, and arguments absolutely lost and... i think i think you're onto something absolutely brilliant <laughs> let's put a pin in that and we'll we'll pursue this side, side hustle <laughs> um uh, okay so I could shoot the shit with you all day, Annabelle, but I'm not allowed to. So I'll just, you know, when you said I finish a book and then the next time I, 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 it's like I've forgotten. Like, so what are you, what are you doing now? What's supposed for you? you? Tell us anything you want to tell us before we kind of close it down.
2: Yeah. Um, thank you for that future oriented question. When <laughs> <laughs> It's like, do we have yeah. future? What are we doing? <laughs> um, so uh, working on a few things right now, um, I, um, you know, my next monograph project is, um, tentatively titled Ought to Fiction. Um, and it is a kind of case for, for fiction, (laughs) for invention, because I'm sort of sick and tired of the way contemporary French literature has just been taken over by both autofiction and exofiction. Um, so for the, um, historians, uh, in the, in the, in the room who, um, might not necessarily uh, be familiar with these literary terms. Autofiction, like, this is very, like, reductive. Autofiction is basically, like, fictionalized, like, uh, autobiography and exofiction. Again, very crudely defined, could be seen as, like, fictionalized biography. But, you know, it interests me the way um, contemporary French literature is so sort of um, committed to a kind of working with sort of a referential, like, historical sort of real, like, real in terms of um the material for sure for, for, for um for the kinds of fiction that, that that's being published nowadays. Um and you know for me my question is just sort of like what 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 well what happened to like making stories up? Why does no one make stories up anymore? <laughs> like why are we just retelling things that are, you know, kind of verifiable? Um, um but it's it's all meant that I am um, reading authors that I, I just really hate. <laughs> I'm not going to name but I don't want to like down like um um uh open myself up to like um uh uh in- indignant remarks from people who might love these authors all right but I think part of also um we kind of moving from a corpus in Tacsoni where I loved the reading to moving to a corpus where it's painful for me to read has made it wow. that I've been looking for I think productive pro- procrastination so I am also venturing into translation so along mm. with like Lynn Hoffer, um uh, we are currently um translating uh critiques *The Chantier littéraire um for Verso um, and that should wow uh out like we're not done yet, but that should hopefully be out sometime in 2024. Um and um I um uh, am as soon as that is done in the summer, I'm going to be translating a novel um by um, a really interesting contemporary French author Céline Minard, uh, which is called *Plasma* for um, the um, publishing house, Deep Vellum. So that's what's um, on deck. Amazing. Um, and I do also want to make a plug for um, a Yale French Studies um, issue that um, I'm co-editing with uh, my colleague, Morgan Cadieu on Monique Fitigue, um, our oh. materialism, which is in preparation or in production, kind of moving into production right now. So that should be out too in the not so... Um, longish future
1: so yeah so not that much then you're not really you're kind of taking it easy (laughs) (laughs) it sounds amazing it sounds like you're doing so many amazing things i look forward to seeing all of them um as they emerge annabelle i love chatting with you i loved this book thank you for writing it thank you for reading it (laughs) and for talking with me about it
2: well it has been such a, a pleasure, a real joy, and um, I think I speak for all when I say, Roxanne, you are the shit. So thank oh. you so much. <laughs> thank you. Yeah.